0: Our scripture reading today comes, oh gee, the Gospel of John in the 7th <laughs> chapter. And uh, we're going to look at starting at verse 25, Here, uh, the word of the Lord to us. At that point, uh, some of the people of Jerusalem began, began to ask him, is this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cry out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own. But he who sent me is true. Do not know, you do not know him but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one would uh, lay a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he, uh, he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You'll look for me, but you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go uh, where our people have scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me? But you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from him, within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those uh, who believed in him Uh, were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit uh, had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is a prophet. Others said, he's the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the Scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Has any uh, of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, no. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without uh, first hearing him to find out what he's doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look uh, into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. officially, um, went to a memorial service. The pastor of the church that I was one of uh, uh, seven pastors on the staff uh, died, and so they had this, how do I want to call it? It was a big service, okay? Just think about this if you can, 900 people came, Uh, the church could seat 1,200, so it was not totally packed but they were worried that it was going to be that way and I got there early because the family the wife wanted to sing in the choir and so I took her and I sat for an hour just kind of kicking back and reading and then you had to get into the sanctuary at a certain time because well it was filling up fast and I'm just sitting there minding my own business when a bunch of the ushers. Now, these are not the young ushers in the church. These are the other ushers in the church. Uh, you'll figure that out quickly. And uh, I'm sitting there, one of the guys came up to me and said, hi, I'm so-and-so, and he shook out, shook my hand, and I said, well, hi, I'm Randy Yenter. And instantly he stopped and said, Randy Yenter, real loud, at, in the North X, I know you. And I went, oh, my gosh, what, how, you know, I was a pastor 30 years ago on the staff there. I was just one of the junior pastors, and uh, then he introduced me to another guy, and the guy said, Randy Yenter, I know you, and I thought, what did I do at this church that, uh, well, I, I many of the not young ushers knew me, and that was a little scary for me. I had to really pray about it. And, ask for forgiveness for anything that I had done that would cause that kind of a thing. So thank you for letting me be away for a weekend. I got to see a lot of good friends, and um, it was a a really wonderful time. Now, I have to tell you about this sermon. I, I I wrote it, and then I worked on it, and then I worked on it some more, and I just was like, I'm not sure about this sermon and um, 5 o'clock this morning the Lord woke me up now I don't know about you but maybe the Lord wakes you up he woke me up and I went oh no am I writing rewriting this whole sermon what's up Lord wasn't that and then at 6 o'clock woke me up again at 6.30 I gave up and I got up and I prayed and I I was thinking about it and 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 why I'm so uh, uptight about this, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's part of what Jesus is offering in this passage today is uh, the Holy Spirit, before the Holy Spirit comes later at Pentecost. And he's offering people streams of living water that come out of them, which is the Holy Spirit. And they have to want it. And and I'm thinking, God, what I want more than anything for you is streams of living water flowing out of you. But what that means, especially for Presbyterians, it means we have to be surrendered and open to the Holy Spirit living within us. And we Presbyterians, the chosen frozen, uh, uh, we, we tend not to want the Holy Spirit to be really involved in us because then we're out of control And he's in control. You got the picture. So now I'm I'm panicked. I'm going. This is a Presbyterian church. God, don't you know that they? Uh, And he just kept waking me up, saying, "Are Are you ready to listen to me yet?" And I went, "No, no, no, God, don't you?" So uh, here goes. Uh, If you don't like it, it, next week will be a different thing. So okay, I'm just telling you this. Have you ever been really thirsty? I mean, really thirsty. I remember a trip that, one of the trips overseas that I was on, and we were in a bus, and we were on the bus from the Taj Mahal all the way across, I mean, a long way from in India, back to where our hotel was. Eight hours after we saw the Taj Mahal, we had to ride on this bus. It looked like a, a little bit better than a school bus. Not much more than that. We had to keep the windows down and the car running at 60 miles an hour just to have a little bit of air. Now, this was back in 1970. They didn't have a whole lot of air condition with bathrooms in the bus. They didn't, especially for cheap people like we were, uh, uh, 50 collegians, Now nah, we didn't pay for that kind of stuff. And so we were driving. We were getting really thirsty. And every time we would stop, there was no bottled water left. And we were smart enough not to drink the water out of the tap, okay? Because you didn't know what you were gonna get. And so farther and farther we got. So we had got to our hotel and um, we hit the bar. Now, not for alcoholic drinks, but because that was the place where they sold bottled water. And now there's 50 collegians and six adults with us Chaperones, and I'm sitting there watching. And after the second round of bottled water to everybody, I said, "This hotel isn't big enough for that many bottled water." So I just got up and kind of walked into the kitchen, and they had one guy at the tap filling up the bottle of water and was passing it to us. It became a very interesting trip for uh, about three or four days after that. We were thirsty. We'd gone almost eight hours without any kind of liquid in the heat. It was running at around 100 degrees, and we were thirsty. We, we all use something different to quench our thirst. I, I, I'm not picking on anybody for whatever. You just use whatever you use. Do you remember when Gatorade came on the market? How many of you have been in the Deep South? Go ahead. It's all right. You can raise your hand. This is it. They're just the... the, the Not many of you are willing to say that you were down. All right, I was in the Deep South one time, and it was hot. It was summertime. It was humid. And if you weren't careful, you'd you'd really get dehydrated. Now, imagine if you were doing some kind of sports in the Deep South. Back when this uh, Gatorade was formed, uh, the football players in the Deep South did two practices a day. Um, in that oppressive heat and they had to be very careful that they wouldn't get dehydrated Uh, the experience was so intense that the Florida Gators I'm not rooting for them at all I'm just saying their football team was really going through terrible times every year so they went to the school of medicine at the school and uh, asked if they could help because water just wasn't cutting it a player would drink gallons of water and sweat it all out, but they would still suffer from heat exhaustion and, and cramping terribly. So the School of Medicine came up with a recipe for fluid replacement, which included water and sodium and sugar and potassium and phosphate and lemon juice. They mixed that all together, and and they gave it to the team, and, and it was a lot like... Uh, the IV solution uh, lactate ringers. And, and But they made that taste good. And so the coaching staff immediately saw better performance from their football team. So they uh, started to dominate teams in the second half of the football games when the games were played in Florida. And it, they were even credited, this drink was even credited for the Florida Gators winning the 67 Orange Bowl. The university decided to market the stuff and uh, for their uh, athletic programs, and Gatorade was born. Now you have a little history. I don't have to do history anymore. Quenching your thirst has become a $200 billion a year industry. And Jesus comes... And starts talking about streams of living water flowing out of us that are that that, that we hunger for. We we desire uh, being quenched the thirst for spiritual things being quenched. Now, I want to jump back a little bit from the Feast of the Tabernacles and talk just for a minute about about two cities that were really important to Jesus. First one was Bethlehem, that's where he was born, uh, and that was important because that uh, all the prophecies that talked about uh, the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. But then there was an other verbal prophecies, not written down, but verbal prophecies uh, that talked about another place. You see, when Mary and Joseph escaped Bethlehem, and went to Egypt, when uh, God told them it was okay, they went back not to Bethlehem, but to Nazareth and lived in Nazareth. Do you know why? When you uh, look carefully there, there, like I say, there are no written prophecies, but we understand that there were verbal prophecies spoken. Several of the prophets uh, had predicted this, that the Messiah would be a Nazarene. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and he grew up in Nazareth. Jesus was a Nazarene. The word Nazareth comes from the root word Nazar. Well, you're getting now all kinds of lessons. But what it means is to Separate as in the Nazarite vow, vow, where they separated themselves unto God only. Usually the firstborn son was done that way. So people of Nazareth were more conservative than most other Jewish towns in Israel. They separated themselves from other people and from sin intentionally. Separated themselves socially and religiously And morally, their customs kept them away from people and the impact of others on them. They were extremely separated to God, from sin to God. Jesus was separated from worldly and secular trends because he was raised in a town called the Separated Ones. Jesus was a Nazarene as he grew up. Matthew two twenty three says this, He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So there was great Questions and discussion and even arguments about Jesus. Some knew he was from Bethlehem, but not everybody did that he was born in Bethlehem. Most of them knew that he grew up in Galilee and nothing good ever happened in Galilee, but this little tiny town was focused on the, being a Nazarene being one separated from the world and separated from the sin of the world. So Jesus goes to the temple. He goes to the feast of tabernacles and the uh, midweek and, and and the discussion is raging all all over Jerusalem. Was he a Nazarene? Was he a Galilean? Was he, what, what was he? And they didn't know. Now This celebration, I talked a little bit about it last week. I want to go back and just set the stage again. This is one of the favorite of kids, uh, the festivals. Because uh, every male living within 20 miles of Jerusalem was to attend this festival. And the kids loved it because the families left their homes and lived in shelters that the family made for the week. It's like camping with all of the stuff of home right there with you, and and they made shelters, and it was very uh, specific how they were to make it. Building code said that the walls had to be able to let light in, and the roof had to be made in such a way that people could uh, see the stars when they went to bed at night, and that was to remind them that this was part of this feast of the tabernacles was a remembrance of them wandering in the wilderness and the experience of of the nation doing that. So they remembered those wanderings. The feast, as it was called, was a wonderful festival time. The harvest, it was a celebration of the harvest and they just collected all of the harvest and, and the fruits and all of the things that they needed for the next year. And people dressed in their Sabbath best for the whole week, they built their shelters on flat roofs and outside their homes and in alleyways and out in the fields and wherever they th- could find to build their booths. Jerusalem was flooded with peoples and shil- shelters sprang up everywhere. During this time, the people w- would sing and give thanks to God for all that He had done for them. Do you ever have a time in your life that you sing? And thank God, well, maybe you don't sing because you don't like the way you sing, but at least to thank God, a time when you really, besides your quick 12-word grace before a meal, but a time when you really just thank God for the blessings that he'd given to you at least once a year, well, the Israelites did that. And it was also a time that they did a rite, a, a, a celebration, because they were praying for rains for the next year, for the crops, that the rains would come so that they would have good crops. So the heart of the celebration was this daily rite that the, that the, that the priests did. Each morning, great multitudes would gather in the temple. And I, I told you that, but 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 the people would come And in their left hand, they would hold a citrus fruit. And in their right hand, they'd hold a a bunch of different kinds of branches. Uh, One was a a palm, and and one was a myrtle. And golly, I can't think of what the third one was. Oh, a willow. And they would hold those, and they would wave these, and just remember that God brought them into a land that uh, provided for them. And so the priest would come with a golden pitcher, a big one, and he would, once everybody filled up the uh, temple, then he would lead a procession to the river, to the stream. And he would take time to dip this golden pitcher into the water, hold it up, and then they would sing and praise God and process all the way back to the temple. And the priest then, when he got there, and everybody filled back up into the temple, processed around the altar once. And then he'd climb up to the altar and pour the water on it as a reminder of what? Well, when Moses struck the rock and water. God provided water for them. See, they they were celebrating. Uh, I mean, listen, it's an arid land, and you celebrate water in any way you can. And the people were very uh, thoughtful about doing this. Well, six days, that's the way it works. Then the seventh day showed up and the whole thing started all over again. Can you imagine getting in your Sunday best and grabbing a, you know, an orange and your branches and wandering down and waving and chanting uh, scripture? Well, that's what they did. And this time he dipped it in and he came back and instead of going around once, he went around seven Times. what do you think it, that represented back in the Old Testament when they went around Jericho seven times and the walls came down here they were breaking the, the spiritual walls to allow water uh, to come uh, so that the nation would have uh, rain for the then he'd take the, the pitcher and he'd hold it up and then everybody would cheer him on to hold it up higher so it you know, probably he'd start like this and then he'd get like this and then finally he'd be up on his tippy toes holding this pitcher, golden pitcher uh, of water and then he would pour it and there was another guy there that had a pitcher of wine and he would pour that as, as part of what they, they grew and, and they would pour it down onto the altar and it would splash on down uh, and the idea of it was that from the altar of God came rivulets streams of God's grace to his people well there comes a point after and this is the Jesus was amazing he would, he was he must have known television uh, he got to the dramatic part the, the priest poured it down and then there was a hush throughout the whole congregation silence and Jesus then yells out what he, normal, what he yelled out. Uh, and and um, l- let me share it with you. I'm, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Now he's yelling this out across the whole temple. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, streams of living water will flow from him. Scripture teaches us here in this passage that that was the Holy Spirit. Those streams of living water that come out of us is the Holy Spirit because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. So, Presbyterians, lesson number one, we've got to allow the Holy Spirit in. Don't run from the Holy Spirit. Don't keep the Holy Spirit at arm's length. Embrace the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to come in. Why? Because it won't be able to run out of you if you don't first get it in you. Okay? That's just the way it works. And so many of us in the Presbyterian church run run away from that because you let the Holy Spirit in and you go, "Uh, uh, but then I lose control. Yeah, you do. But that's what Jesus wants. Him in control, not you in control. So there was a great hush. Jesus shouts out the thing. And I have to go back to the whole thought, have you ever been thirsty? And the, our Lord uses a powerful image, especially to those in the Middle East. They understood what he was saying. They knew that it, what it was to be thirsty. And we understand the tragedy of our age is that we twist our thirst for God into a desire for a new wardrobe or a new car or a new experience or whatever and we never get satisfied. Jesus is saying to us that the part of us that is never satisfied, the part of us that craves so much becomes satisfied when we receive his water. In verse 39 it says, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So the way we're satisfied comes as the Holy Spirit lives within us and as we surrender over our life to him. Did you notice that Jesus didn't say just a stream of living water, but streams of living water flow out of us. Our unfulfilled desires can become satisfied fully satisfied by virtue of the indwelling spirit of Jesus Christ in our lives which brings streams of living water from us. So how are we to drink this water? Although Jesus offers us, it's a free offer. It's open to everyone. There are some terms that have to be met. And so, I want to share just a few moments with you uh, uh, about one of my favorite books. C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia book The Silver Chair. It puts all of this in clear terms. Jill sees a lion. We know him as in G- in Lewis's books as Jesus. Jill sees a lion is scared out of her wits and runs into the forest. She runs so hard that she wears herself out just about to die of thirst. At least that's what she thinks. When she hears a gurgling brook in the distance. And so she approaches it and almost ready to go into the brook when she looks up and sees on the grass there that same lion that she had seen before. And the lion says to her, are you thirsty? And she says, I'm dying of thirst. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do? And as Jill uh, gazed at his motionless bulk, she realized she might as well have asked a whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious, rippling noise of the stream was nearly driving her frantic. Will you promise not to do to do anything to me if I do come? The lion says, I make no promise. So Jill was thirsty now, and without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls? She asked. I've swallowed up girls and boys and women and men and kings and emperors and cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say it as if it was boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step closer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There's no other stream, said the lion. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that. And her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing that she had ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. And it was the coldest and most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You see what Lewis is saying? When you come to the water, you're coming to a lion. You must come on the lion's terms. You have to yield yourself by faith in order to get the water. Some of us here in this room need to realize that we're thirsty. I'm not talking physically thirsty, but spiritually thirsty. And we need water badly. We need to step out in faith yielding to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and receive the water that will refresh us. Some of us here already know that we're thirsty and realize that we have been looking in all of the wrong places for satisfaction. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come into this room and then I'm going to ask any of you that want streams of living water that Jesus talked about in this passage to open yourself up and invite the Holy Spirit in. So we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit fills us. Let's pray. Almighty God, We come to you thirsty. Each of us in this room has tried to satisfy ourselves with all kinds of different things. And we're discovering the reality that they don't satisfy. At least not for very long. And so we come to you, almighty God, and we come to you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit so come Holy Spirit and fill this room be present with us here in a very real way touch our hearts let us experience your presence and realize that streams of living water can come out of us to meet our own satisfaction but satisfaction of other people But most importantly, we need you. We need your direction and your wisdom and your guidance. So if you're here today and you would like streams of living water to flow out of your life, like Jesus offered, silently right now, would you just open yourself up to Jesus? Jesus, come and fill us with your Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. That we may be your people. And that we would have deep inner satisfaction because you've met our needs and you're leading us forward into new adventures And you're not leading us forward without your Holy Presence being with us. Father, I ask that you fall upon this congregation with your Holy Spirit. Touching hearts and lives. Some of you right now are sensing something. Let me just say, it's the Holy Spirit. I know the Spirit is in this room. I feel it. I sense it. Thank you, Father. Come and fill us. That we may be your people. That streams of living water will satisfy us and flow out of us. We pray this in your Holy Spirit. In your name, your strong, loving name. We pray it. Amen.